Welcome to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for people like you who care about the social impact of conscious companies and everyday heroes. Hear inspiring stories from those who put people and planet before profit and personal gain. You'll learn how you can make a difference, vote with your dollars, and get involved today. Here's your host, Karina Belizzi. Hello, fellow do-gooders and friends. I'm your host, Karina Belizzi, an activist and cause marketer who's passionate about social impact and sustainability. I'd like to invite all of you to join us for vibrant discussions about the topics we cover on this show and many more on Clubhouse. As with all of our social platforms, our handle is Care More Be Better. But for Clubhouse and Twitter, just leave out that final E in better. If you like what we're doing, you can support the show by sharing it with friends and keep it ad-free by donating directly on our site. Just visit caremorebebetter.com. I've spent the better part of my career working in the natural products industry, specifically in the world of omega-3s and vitamins, because I know how much good, great nutrition can do for people. By working in this field, I get to help people of all walks of life live a healthier life so they can do more of what they love with those they love. This is the industry I fell in love with when I was a recent college grad back in the late 90s. I knew I wanted to be an archaeologist, but I just didn't have the stomach for more debt to pursue that PhD. Now, as a forever idealist, I fell in love with natural products, and I fell in love with an equally idealistic crew of inspired people. It was while I worked long hours leading the sales, marketing, and education of Nordic Naturals in the early 2000s that I had the pleasure of meeting our guest today, Howard Schiffer. I distinctly remember being in our booth. I think it was um, our first time having a 20 by 20 island, a feat for any company, when Howard came by wanting to talk about vitamin angels. They sought to end infant blindness by providing pregnant and nursing women, as well as children, with vitamin A. I still get chills thinking about that moment. I loved the story he told. Now, Howard has an interesting history that includes starting out as a midwife, perhaps a different career for a man, then moving into the natural products industry and subsequently founding Vitamin Angels back in 1994. Vitamin Angels' mission remains clear and very similar today. They are dedicated to protecting the health of mothers and children in need. They reach over 60 million underserved pregnant women and children in over 65 countries and in all 50 states. Howard, my friend, welcome to the show. So glad to be here, Karina. Now, I remember hearing your daughter speak as you were acknowledged at a vitamin shop fundraising event a few years ago. And wow, what a speech that was. It really was amazing to hear from your family's perspective about what you do at Vitamin Angels, all the hours you put into this and the sacrifices you made over the years to get it off the ground. As we open the discussion, I'd like to invite you to share that story. Why did you feel so compelled to take on this effort? I'll update you a little bit first on that that daughter that you saw, Eliana, um, who is now pursuing a doctorate degree um, in nurse midwifery. So I feel like my life has become full circle. And uh, Vitamin Shop is still a partner. And the only thing I want to add to in your opening, which was so generous, is about me being self-sacrificing. What I've always said before I got into this work I feel like I was sacrificing myself. Now I feel like I've gotten myself back. So the work is so rewarding. Any listener who wants to make their life better, to really change the world in a positive way, we need you and the world needs you. And what you will get back, my experience, is a hundredfold of whatever you put in. 
my journey has been very circuitous. Um, anything that was planned, I didn't get a degree in midwifery, nor did I get a degree in business, nor did I know anything about nonprofits when I started Vitamin Angels. I just followed my passion and things that were interesting to me. And the first thing, as you mentioned, was nurse midwifery. And this was the early part of the home birth movement. Uh, when women were first starting to take back um, their own power in having a child. And one of the first groups, interestingly enough, was in Santa Cruz. And uh, we were part of the home birth movement. And I really got to learn about prenatal health and nutrition and the critical role nutrition played in healthy pregnancies and healthy babies. Uh, many of the women we saw were vegans and vegetarians. They would come in with low iron counts. The doctors would be ready to hospitalize them. And we would teach them about food combining, get them on good that were absorbable. And within a month, usually we would turn around their iron counts and they were feeling great. They had energy and they went on to have healthy pregnancies and happy babies. And curiously enough, a lot of our work today with Vitamin Angels is, again, with prenatal nutrition and getting women to take a multiple prenatal, which is what we've always done, um, as opposed to iron folic acid, which is what's recommended by most governments and World Health Organization. Um, but we've seen, and now there's research to show, amazingly positive results from the multiple. And with anemic women in particular, 38% of all pregnant women are anemic, um, and it can be life-threatening for the mother and the baby. By taking a multiple prenatal with vitamins and minerals in it, there's a 29% reduction in infant mortality and babies dying at six months, 29%. I mean, so I feel like that, that work that I've done has really come around full circle. And what compelled me was just, I wasn't happy anymore. I wasn't happy. You know, I had gone from midwifery to the vitamin industry. I was like you. I found people that I really resonated with that were trying to make positive changes, make the world healthier start taking back care of ourselves instead of just turning it over to Western medicine. Um, but after 14 years, it became a business. And what's the next top product? And what's the next top trend? And that wasn't enough for me. And I kept thinking I have all these connections. I should be able to do something with them. And then there was an earthquake in Southern California. And we got a call. Uh, the vitamin company I was uh, owned got a call from a relief group that was doing medical supplies and they needed vitamins for the farm workers who were displaced from their homes because of the earthquake. And that was the start of Vitamin Angels. At that time, I had no idea, honestly. Even for myself, I thought vitamins were about peak performance or getting sick less often. Or if you got sick, you know, you would get over it more quickly. I had no concept that vitamins actually were a centerpiece of public health that they were one of the most successful public health interventions in the last 50 years. But nobody had a consistent, high-quality, reliable supply. And that's what Vitamin Angels was able to do. I think that 29% reduction that you talk about of infant mortality at six months, I mean, that is a commendable thing to tackle. I think, especially here in the West, we start to get this concept that 
Well, everyone here is relatively healthy. We don't see as high of levels of infant mortality as you might in some other countries, but that isn't necessarily true if you start to get to some of the food deserts, right? And inner city urban areas where people are relying on really junk food for their staples. So I wondered if you could talk about what you're doing here in the States to help rectify that. And then perhaps you could share an example of a particular initiative you undertook over the last few years that really just jumps out to you as an example of the type of work you do or a person or family you're able to affect. So the work in the U.S. is significant. It's, it's in every state in the United States. Um, as you mentioned, there are food deserts in every state in the United States. Um, there are people that are not getting enough nutrition, communities that have been marginalized, indigenous communities, undocumented communities, people of color, the Latinx, the black communities have much higher rates of infant and maternal mortality. And if you look at the list, actually, globally, countries like Sweden and Japan, Singapore, Canada, those are at the top with the lowest rates of mothers and babies dying. The U.S. is like number 35 down on the list. And some of the communities like black women have a two to three times higher chance of not being able to survive pregnancy or having their babies die. I mean, that's it's quite significant. And I think racism, of course, has played a big part um, in that. The fact of poverty and just not having access to the right health care or to health care that's available. Um, I know we work with a lot of Um, migrant workers around the country, a lot of undocumented people, it's not easy for them to even get to the clinic. And then then the cost involved is sometimes prohibitive just for them to even get um, multiple vitamins for pregnancy. So there's a lot of work to be done. And right now we are, since we started our global prenatal campaign, we're reaching about 20% of the unmet need for getting prenatal multiples to pregnant women in our own country. So we have a lot of work to be done here at home. And I've I've visited these communities. And when you meet the women and meet the children, um, you realize that it's happening right here at home. And and when you hear Mm -hmm. these these stories about, you know, husbands who have lost their wives during childbirth, I mean, people in a lot of, you know, more affluent communities don't think of childbirth as a life-threatening event. Mm-hmm. But in poor communities and communities that have been marginalized, it sometimes is a life-threatening event. And this is exactly what we've seen around the world. There were parts of Africa, sub-Saharan Africa, where a woman had a one in 30 chance of dying during childbirth, um, you know, where the infant mortality rate was, was really high. I remember uh, a community up in the Andes in Peru, this little, little community, Tio Grande, we were up there a few years ago, and I went to meet the doctor who was working there, and she had been there about five years. She got there. We actually started getting prenatal multiples to the women there. And I said, what was it like when you first got here? And she said it was really bad. She said it would, the, the mortality rate for women or babies was about 30%. Almost mm-hmm. one in three babies or mothers would not survive childbirth. And I said, well, that's... It's shocking. And, uh, but then vitamin angels came in with prenatal multiples. And this group we were working with, the SEA Peru, which is all indigenous healthcare workers, started training the women in the villages about how to do 
healthcare? And how to identify if the woman was in danger, if she's having a problem. And I mean, I remember sometimes the healthcare workers would have to walk up for an hour to the top of a mountain to be able to get a cell signal so they can call a clinic to tell them, you know, that there was a woman in distress. And, you know, sometimes women would have to walk two or three hours down the mountain to get to a clinic to get help. And I said, Kareem, how has it been now? Is it, you know, has it improved? She said, oh, yeah. She said, it's completely different. I said, well, how many babies or moms are dying this year? And she said, none. We see this all the time. I mean, I see it in so many villages. The first time we show up, women will come to their first visit, and you'll see they'll have their hand kind of clenched. You realize there's a clump of dirt in their hand, and they're chewing on dirt. Um, that's the only source of minerals in their environment. And their body is craving minerals so much, they know they need it. And so the only source is, you know, it's, and this is gets passed down from mother to daughter, is there's dirt that has a high mineral content. But of course, dirt also has parasites, I mean, and germs, and it's not healthy at all to eat. Within a week after getting our prenatal multiples, the women will come back and say, oh, I no longer crave soil. And it just it goes away really quickly. And when we come back, you know, nine months later or a year later, the women will test them and say, you know, for my first baby, I was always tired. I couldn't get up. I couldn't work at all. I was always exhausted. Now look at me. I'm strong and I'm healthy and I'm working in the shamba, the garden every day. And I'm able to help my family. Women who couldn't nurse will say, I have enough milk now to nurse twins. Mm -hmm. Women whose first baby weighed three pounds will say, wow, after I took the prenatal multiple, my baby was seven pounds. And, you know, I mean, again and again and again, we hear these stories that nothing else has changed. I mean, this is what's so amazing to me is that the diet hasn't changed. It's still pretty minimal. It's ogali is a, a corn porridge, maybe some greens. The economy hasn't changed. They're still poor. They still haven't, you know, just getting by enough money. Their geography hasn't changed. They're still living in the same place. Everything's basically the same. But we've added this one piece, getting them a prenatal multiple, and all of a sudden, there's a pretty dramatic difference. And these babies that are born, I mean, the difference between a three-pound and a seven-pound baby, you know, a bigger baby, just they're a little bit more stable. They have a little bit higher chance. I mean, the three-pound baby can still make it, but they're more vulnerable. A bigger baby just has a better chance of surviving. And so the research that was done was comparing the multiple prenatal with iron folic acid, which, as I said, that's the recommendation. That's what a government's going to give out. That's what World Health Organization has recommended for years, iron folic acid. But when they showed the double-blind study with women who took the multiple compared to the iron folic acid, the multiple prenatal women um, had a 12% reduction in low birth weight babies. Mm -hmm. And a, a 10% reduction in small for gestational age babies. And both of those, being small for gestational age or being low birth weight, those are indicators of whether a baby is going to be healthy or even if a baby might survive. And the woman who took the multiple prenatal had a 9% reduction in stillborn births. I mean, again, nothing else has changed in public health. When you get a 10% change, from, from an intervention, that's significant. I mean, that's like where you could really 
um, have an impact. And I think that's, I mean, that's what Vitamin Angels has been so excited about recently is that we've really seen the opportunity to really grow this campaign around the world, in the U.S., but also in 70 countries around the world. Now, I know when you got your start, you were hyper-focused on vitamin A, and specifically because you had a quest to end infant blindness that was nutrient-borne, right? It was, yes, childhood blindness. Actually, we were starting at six months to five years. That's when most children would go blind from vitamin A deficiency. Which is, I mean, incredible. I remember you telling me a story from years ago about the communities you were impacting in Peru, where the diet was mostly consisting of potatoes, several different species of potatoes, right? And that there were two-year-olds and three-year-olds who were just kind of developing the ability to walk. I mean, we don't think about how much nutrition and core vitamins can impact a child's early development here in the West because we see these types of challenges so rarely. Because our food supply has been fortified for decades. Right. Drink milk, you get vitamins A and D. Use salt, you get iodine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this initiative that you're undertaking, shifting to a multivitamin, um, how does that impact the work that you're doing with vitamin A? Is it replacing it? Because I imagine you're including vitamin A in these multis? Yes. The vitamin A campaign is thriving, continues to grow. Last year, even with COVID, um, we were able to reach, I think, 62 million children. The global prenatal campaign at the same time has grown. When we started the global prenatal campaign at the beginning of 2018, we're reaching 500,000 women. We jumped to 2 million. Now we're at 4 million women and babies. We'll be at 7 million the end of this year. So, So both campaigns need to increase. We also do the deworming campaign. We do breastfeeding advocacy. We have some young child feeding programs. And then we're also doing a lot of research now about implementation science. Like, what does it take to really make sure that the woman you know, will be interested in taking a multiple prenatal, but then will continue taking it for her whole pregnancy? What are the parameters that are going to make that more likely to occur and will allow us to scale up an intervention on a national level? We've increased our monitoring and evaluation, so we make sure that our partners are doing it right. We have a lot more e-learning now, training programs. Mm-hmm. So as we've become you know, more and more of a global organization, we've had to add capacity so that we could really do our job even better, I mean, even be more efficient. I recall also years ago when I was with Nordic Naturals, we did a Thrive to Five campaign in collaboration with Vitamin Angels in the Dominican Republic. Um, I wondered if you're doing anything in the Omega-3 space presently alongside this multiple intervention. Not yet. We continue to monitor. I, I myself take an Omega-3 every day. Um, I believe in them. Um, in the world that we're working in, there has to be enough peer-reviewed, published, double-blind studies that are recognized by the major public health universities and the global organizations. So they often take a lot longer when things come out. I mean, even vitamin A, mm-hmm. even after the research was done with vitamin A, it took 10 years for World Health Organization to make the recommendation. We're facing the same thing right now with multiple prenatals. Mm-hmm. The research is there. I mean, it's so dramatic and much more significant than anything that was ever done with iron folic acid. World Health is slowly starting to change the recommendation, but they haven't 
completely flipped over yet. I mean, it's right. just, it, it takes a long time for these international agencies to get on board. And, and you know, we're facing the same thing with omega-3s is that they're just, you know, I think they're becoming more and more aware, but it just takes a long time to get their yeah. uh, acceptance. And because we are so visible right now, we have to kind of go by international standards and best practices and um, it's just kind of incumbent upon us. Plot along one foot in front of the other. Now, um, every time there's a dramatically impacted community around the globe, I've seen Vitamin Angels step up to the plate and say, we're here to help. I remember a few years back when Haiti was hit hard with one tragedy after another that you were very much at central stage there. So can you talk a little bit about how your team tackles these emergent sorts of need that come out of seeming left field? In all transparency, it's incredibly difficult in a disaster situation. And I mean, the first thing we have to establish is um, logistics. You know, what are the opportunities to get product through a port of entry? You know, is there a local partner that we're already working with um, that will be able to clear customs? Is it safe? Will we be able to protect our partners? And then just what are the barriers, you know, with communication, with transportation, with even, you know, simple things like warehousing to be able to stage an intervention. So as soon as we can get into areas, I mean, sometimes like Syria, I remember it took us a year and a half to be able to work there, to find the right partner, and then to get a route in that was safe. I mean, that we could be assured that our product would be able to reach the refugee camp. So mm-hmm. it's a continual challenge. And the areas where there is civil strife, war, um, where there's a natural disaster, you know, right now where there's a pandemic, there are just added challenges. I mean, we've been doing this long enough that we know kind of some of the obstacles and and some of the workarounds that we could do. And, you know, right now we are in contact with a lot of governments. And fortunately, in a lot of these situations, people now recognize that, for instance, if Measles vaccines are interrupted, which in the last year they've been interrupted a lot. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the recommendations is, is that once measles coverage, and measles, you know, used to kill two to three million children a year. So, I mean, it's, you don't think of it as serious. It has been very serious globally. Once measles coverage goes below 90%, there's a recommendation to start doing vitamin A immediately because vitamin A not only prevents childhood blindness, but it actually um, helps build the immune system. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that's, I mean, I think that's the brilliant work that Dr. Summers did was that um, he really showed that you could reduce child mortality by up to 24% with just two high-dose vitamin A doses a year. It's one of the things that we focused on. And in countries um, that have been hit by a pandemic, or a natural disaster, getting something like a vitamin A, or of course, prenatals is critical because food supply lines are going to be down. People are out of jobs, like in our own country as well. They're going to make less nutritious food choices, or they're not going to have food available. Um, And so getting in with basic nutrition is just, you know, is a godsend. I mean, it really makes a difference. 
Now, there are a few not-for-profits that I think of as you kind of run through the gauntlet of all of the countries you're serving, like Doctors Without Borders and um, AmeriCares, as for example, where, you know, they're really working to get into communities and also help to improve the health of people there. So I wondered if you'd formed any sort of strategic alliances with some of these groups, particularly in a time like this when we're working and living in a pandemic. Always, yes. In fact, our ability to do our work has been really helped by international organizations like World Vision or Save the Children, Mm -hmm. International. Some are implementation partners. They actually help us do the work. Some are strategic partners in that they're either working with research or with governments that we work with them to create an enabling environment so that we could maybe look toward building a coalition that could help launch a national multiple prenatal campaign. It's reflective of the time that there are a lot of people trying to do good in the world. Um, and people will you know, approach it in a slightly different way. I mean, some people are focusing on medical. Some people are focusing on infrastructure. Some people are focusing on working with governments. You know, Vitamin Angel's focus has always been very simple nutrition, vitamin interventions, nutrition interventions. Um, and then we focus on reaching the unreachable. You know, who's not being reached by the big agencies? Who's not being reached by the government? Who's not being reached by the primary healthcare system? Let's get to those people. You know, those people mm-hmm. are probably more at risk. And, and we could fill in a gap and really help, you know, the government and anybody else you know, solve part of the problem that's not being solved. And so tend to find kind of all the uh, other good players um, once you get out into the field and you know, everybody sees each other and, you know, they find out, you know, they're building deep water wells and they're putting up schools for children. And mm-hmm. fortunately, vitamins happen to work really well with a lot of those other interventions and mm-hmm. oftentimes they're critical. I mean, you can build all the schools you want, but if the kids aren't healthy enough, aren't going to be able to concentrate, they're not going to do much good. So oftentimes we'll partner with those organizations and say, well, look, you're already building schools. Why don't you get the kids you know, into a nutrition program? We could do a vitamin A campaign, um, and that might really help you out. And they're more than thrilled to, uh, to be able to participate. I mean, as you tell these stories, I get the sense that your work essentially will never be done. <laughs> like there will always be more to do. But I wonder, as you've developed this goal, this decision that your that Vitamin Angels has just made to eliminate newborn mortality due to vitamin deficiency-related diseases by 2030, that's a bold goal. It feels like 2030 isn't even that far off. I wonder if you could just talk a little bit about how you intend to get there and, and what you think the path forward could be after that for vitamin angels? Like, let's say you've been successful in doing this, then what's next? When we first started working in this area, those numbers sounded monumental to me. People would say, well, how about when you reach 5 million children or 10 million? I'd say, well, that, that we're there, you know, if we get there. But of course, once we got there, I thought, well, we could reach 20 million. And, you know, it, was, it kept going forward. But, but if you look globally, since 1960, so now 60 years later, that was when they first started counting children's deaths for children under five. And at that time, 
1960, it was about 20 million children under five were dying every year, which is an astro. I mean, it's like 57 or 60,000 60, every day. Um, mm. I mean, just shocking. In the last 60 years, the population of the world has over, I mean, it was 2 billion in 1960. Now it's over 7 billion. So it's over tripled in 60 years. But the number of children dying has gone way down. It's almost, it's dropped by about three quarters. It went from 20 million to under 5 million. You know, so within our lifetime, that's dropped considerably. And when they look at the reasons why it's dropped, there's just a handful of interventions. I mean, it's very simple. Of course, immunization and vaccination campaigns, which people are dealing with right now with COVID, mosquito nets for malaria, promoting exclusive breastfeeding for six months. Mm-hmm. But vitamin interventions are one of that pantheon at the top that have had this tremendous public health impact. So we will get there. I mean, we're already well on our way to our goals with the vitamin A campaign. You know, we could be there, you know, in the not far distant future. The, we're making tremendous progress with the global prenatal campaign. And my, my hope would be that by 2030, that, we, that every woman in the world does have access to a really good multiple prenatal vitamin so she can have a healthy pregnancy and a healthy baby. And then we get to start working with preconception women um, because I think that that's probably even where there's a greater opportunity. Public health people for years have been watching things like stunting and wasting. Stunting is children are too small for their age. Wasting is they're too thin. And when we go to countries, I mean, when I first started doing this work, and I go to a country and I see a young boy, you know, sitting uh, on some steps in front of his home. And I'd say, how old are you? And I would swear he was maybe nine years old. I then would be a stretch. And he would say, I'm 14 or 15. I'd be like, and you realize that generational malnutrition, these children are dramatic. I mean, they're just physically, they're not reaching their potential. And, and it's we've seen it in countries that have high adoption programs like Guatemala, mm-hmm. where children are ado- have been adopted at birth, taken from their village, brought up in a country where they're given good nutrition, and they go back to their village, you know, five years later. If you put kids against a wall at a school in Guatemala and draw a median line for how tall you would expect a five-year-old to be, every child in the village that's been raised in Guatemala will be a head shorter than that median line. Hmm. All the kids that were raised, like in the U.S. and given good nutrition, will be a head above that line. So that's a tremendous difference. And physical growth oftentimes mirrors cognitive development. The impact long-term for a child's productivity, for their physical structure, for their ability to earn money, I mean, it's shown to be dramatically less when they're not malnourished. And I think we have the opportunity to really start changing that. And and when researchers have looked, they've had a very hard time moving the dial on things like wasting and stunting. And what's now becoming obvious is it's probably necessary to reach that child before the age of two. That so much happens between conception and two years old, what they call the first thousand days, Mm -hmm. that if you really want to start moving the dial, if you really want to start helping that child to not have stunting or not have wasting, 
if you start to get to them early enough, that's where you can start to have the impact. And my belief, not backed by research yet, is that if you can start to look at preconception, Mm -hmm. it would probably have even a bigger impact. And people assume when they see these children often that, well, that's just the way it is. Those people are small, but it's the biggest lie is that that's not what they're looking at is generational malnutrition. Now, when, when I grew up, there was a racist stereotype about people from Japan being very small and very slight. And I remember years ago, my friend who's a professor went to Japan to teach and he brought his 18-year-old daughter. Afterwards, I said, Terry, I said, how was it for Naomi to be there? And he said, oh, he said, you know, she got a lot of attention because she's blonde and, you know, California girl. And I said, no, I said, I mean, but she was probably so much taller than everybody. And he said, oh, no, he said, everybody's just as taller, taller than she is now. And I realized that after World War II, Japan started being able to increase the levels of what the economy started going up and the nutrition levels started going up, that within a couple generations, that completely changed. Mm -hmm. And when you looked at the grandparents in Japan, they were still small. But when you looked at the next two generations, like their grandchildren were, you know, the height that you would expect. So so these things are doable. You know, these things are not set in stone. Um, it just takes the conviction and the commitment to say, you know, we're going to make sure people have a chance for a healthy and productive life. And one of the ways to do that is getting them basic nutrition, vitamins early mm-hmm. enough, ideally in their pregnancy or even preconception. Yeah. Well, I think, you know, here in the West, we think about it as a prenatal multivitamin, right? That's what most of them are called. And we're encouraged to take them when we're trying to conceive. And now you're talking about populations that don't necessarily have the resources to go to a store and pick up a bottle of vitamins. So working on this intervention, I think, is critical. I applaud the effort. You know, I was actually advised, interestingly, by my by my midwives after I had given birth with my second child, they said, well, you know, if you're not trying to get pregnant again, there's no real reason to keep taking your vitamins. And I just looked at them going, excuse me, I'm, I'm like still breastfeeding over here, which I intended to do for a full year. And knowing what I know, kept taking my multivitamin. I kept taking my fish oil as I always do because I mean, heck, I've spent 20 years reading the research as you have, you know, the birth weights go way up. My second child was almost nine pounds, 22 inches long, you know, nice and healthy baby boy. My first was eight pounds, six ounces, you know, birth babies. Yeah. And I was over 40, you know, so as a geriatric mother, (laughs) um, as they like to call you, (laughs) I had really good nutrition because of all the things I knew. Like you get enough vitamin A and D, birth weights go up. You get enough omega-3s, birth weights also go up. You get enough omega-3s, likelihood of postpartum depression seems to go down. Now, I'm not going to say that I was completely, you know, without symptom throughout pregnancy. That isn't the reality. I suffered from morning sickness, just like a lot of women do. I suffered from some pain towards the end of the pregnancy, just from all that extra weight you're carrying around, had difficulty sleeping. You know, there isn't a magic bullet pill for all of that stuff. But the journey for me was really good. And even as that geriatric mom at the uh, maternity ward of the hospital, 
I was told by the nurses there, you may be my oldest mother, but you're also my healthiest. Ah, see? And you offer for your children that you're seeing that play out. You mentioned they're three and six now. I'm going to make a bold guess, but they might be, they get sick less often, or they're just a little bit more resistant. Is that the way they've developed as far as their, you know, physical development, walking, you know, you you just, you see a difference is that these kids, I mean, you can see it in the villages that we go to the kids that have gotten vitamins and the kids that haven't, I mean, Mm -hmm. the, the kids that have gotten them are just, they're healthier. They don't get sick as often. They develop at a little bit of faster rate. They're just more able to deal with the world and they're not vulnerable. I mean, we still are living in a world where children are dying from an infection or diarrhea or Mm -hmm. a common cold and it's because their immune systems are so weak. And I think what you did for your children is that you help put them on the road to a healthy immune system. I think if there's anything that the last year has taught us is how critical a strong immune system is. I mean, it's just, it's our ticket to being able to meet the world these days is the world is not always safe and a strong immune system just gives you a little bit added protection. And how, I completely agree. Well, speaking to my kids, my um, my first child, super verbal, super cerebral. By 15 months, he was already talking. His first sentence to me was at that age and he said, mama, I don't feel well. <laughs> I swear I thought it was like a figment of my imagination. But as he developed verbally very, very young, he would correct himself. He would say something like, I don't feel good. Oh, no, I don't feel well. Like even as he was talking, I'm just like, really? Wow. And my second child, when he gets sick, it's almost like he just never complains about it. Like it's so mild. It doesn't seem to really affect him very much. He might have a fever, but he's, and he's a little fussy, but otherwise you wouldn't be able to tell. My husband and I, we just look at each other and go, if this is a sick kid, like we're doing great, you know? No, I mean, really, you know, I mean, what I think is horrible and a reality that we've got to confront now, and I think as a parent, you could really appreciate that. And, and Bill Gates says this, is that not every child's health is being given equal value around the world. And I think one of the reasons that Vitamin Angels is welcomed into these villages in the United States, these small, these poor communities, these communities all around the world, is that we're saying, look, I want the same thing for your children that I want for my children. I want them right. to be healthy. I want them to be able to have a chance at a good life. And, you know, Karina, I've, I've done this for 27 years. And for 27 years, I've asked moms and women in these countries what they want for their children. And whether I am in Mississippi or Mozambique or Mumbai, India, every woman for 27 years, they always say the two same things. They always say, I want my kids to be healthy and I want them to be able to go to school or, you know, be able to have a good life, be able to, you know, to do something productive. And I think as a parent myself, and I'm, I'm imagining for you too, that's all we all want is that, you know, mm-hmm. our kids come out and you're like, you count the fingers. You just want them to be healthy. If they're healthy and they can go to school and learn, you've done a lot. And I think yeah. what we're saying at Vitamin Angels is that that should not be a privilege allotted to a few. That should be a right for everyone. Every mother, every child, every baby, everywhere should have that right. And, you know, we don't have all the answers, but we have one answer. 
I can make a difference. Well, I, I completely agree. Now, before we wrap up, I would love to just offer you the floor for a moment and say, heck, if there's something I haven't asked you that I wished you had, what would it be? Or if you have a closing thought that you'd like to share with all the audience that might be listening today. I think this is true for you too, Karina. I almost died when I was 30 years old and um, I got blood poisoning. I wound up in a coma and I was in a coma for uh, over 10 days. I was completely, in fact, if you looked on my hospital chart, um, it says prognosis is poor, 90% chance he will not make it. I saw at that time, I mean, I had a very clear that if I was going to die, it would be a major event. I mean, it would be, I would know, you know, I would get tuberculosis, I would get some kind of big disease or something would happen that I would kind of see the freight train coming. But this was, you know, a cold that, you know, I wasn't sure what was going on. My breathing got tight. And all of a sudden I was in the intensive care and went into this coma. And I saw that the thread that connected me to this life was really thin, Mm. that it really could snap in any moment. And I came out of that and I thought, wait, I I need to do something good with my, I need to do something big, Mm -hmm. to do something big with my life. Now, this is 14, 15 years before I founded Vitamin Angels, but that thought really stuck with me is that our time is short, Mm -hmm. you know, And, and it's like, it's just really clear. I mean, when you look at things that happen in our world today with the pandemic or with the mass shootings that have happened in Atlanta and Boulder recently, I mean, those people woke up, they were going about their day and just were in the wrong place at the wrong time and a crazy person killed them. And you just realize that we don't know how long we have. And my belief is that we're here to help each other. Otherwise, it would just be one person on the planet. But we have all these people and we're supposed to learn from each other. We're supposed to do something worthwhile. And, I, you know, Mark Twain said the two most important days in your life, the day you were born and the day you figure out why. And I think, our, you know, our, our purpose, our job is that once we figure out why is that we're here to contribute. And everybody, you're doing this podcast, I'm doing Vitamin Angels, everybody has this unique piece that they could do, that they have the talent, they have the passion to do. And each of those pieces really contributes. And, and what I've said, and I said at the beginning when we were talking, is that once you start to align your life like that, happiness is just the result. Is that you're just, you feel very fulfilled. You feel like, this is great. You know, I'm doing something that really is in line with, with what I think is important and I'm making a difference. And, you know, we get into these communities in the U.S. or around the world, these women and children and, and dads are so happy to see us. They're like, nobody gets into these communities. I mean, they're not the areas that, that a lot of resources are being put. And the fact that we show up, people are so thankful. They invite me into their homes and they let me play with their children. And they don't have a lot, but whatever they have, they want to share. And it feels like such an honor. It feels like such a gift that I get to kind of share with them our lives and they get to teach me. I mean, they teach me about generosity and about kindness and about caring. And, um, and I always feel that I have as much to learn from them as, as we have to give them. And so this is the chance that we have and you're taking it and I'm taking it. I would just encourage your listeners to find that why find 
what you're here to do and follow that because uh, service is the key. I mean, that if we could yeah. help each other out, there's a chance for us, our world to get better. And, you know, people will say you're an optimist. And I say, I just, I look at all the people around the world that we're working with and that are doing similar work. There's a lot of them. I mean, there yeah. is a lot of, lot of people who are trying to make this world a better place. And to get to be part of that um, feels wonderful. I agree. I mean, as I left Nordic Naturals, and that was um, back in summer of 2011 after building this, you know, behemoth of a brand and taking as my mission in life to correct the global omega-3 deficiency, right? Like that's what we were doing. But I realized as I was leaving that that wasn't necessarily my mission on this planet. And because it wasn't my mission, that laid into my decision to leave because I was so hyper-focused on this company that I couldn't see anything else. And so my thought was clearly, like, I am here to live well by doing good and to help other people on that same path. And so since leaving, you know, almost a decade ago now, I have continually kind of pursued that, trying to figure out how. What's the how? How am I going to do that? How am I going to do that a little better? Well, let me see. I want to go get my MBA. I want to study a little bit more. I want to understand business a little bit better. I'm almost there, right? But I'm also chomping at the bit to do more. And so I looked at this podcast as a way to do that because I could invite people on a journey, tell some stories that are impactful, and hopefully inspire them to be part of the change they want to see or to just step up, raise their hand and say, I can help in some small way. Sharing examples like these that I might inspire the next person to go start some global initiative that becomes the next big thing to help people in another way or to potentially solve some sustainability issue that we haven't thought of yet or that we haven't seen a solution for. If I can reach just a couple of people with every show and, uh, you know, inspire them to act in some way, then I'm doing something. Yeah, absolutely. There's also been the beautiful benefit of being able to connect with people like yourself that I've known for years and whose story I have wanted more people to hear. So thank you for joining me today. Oh, such a pleasure. Such a really enjoyed our conversation. Now, I'd like to invite our audience to act. That action could be as simple as sharing this podcast with people in your community or donating time, energy, or skills to fantastic not-for-profits like Vitamin Angels. They are California-based, so if you're lucky enough to be based in Santa Barbara, you might want to hit them up. I can say that given a long history of working with them, that everyone that works for or with them loves them. So seriously, if you're looking for a charity to cut your teeth with, you'd be lucky to start there. To find more suggestions like this, you can always visit our action page at caremorebebetter.com. You'll find causes and companies we encourage you to support. And again, I invite you to join the conversation and be a part of the community we're building at caremorebebetter.com. You can also find us on social spaces at caremorebebetter and on Clubhouse at caremorebebetter. Just leave that, that final E in better. You can send a DM on any platform or an email to hello at caremorebebetter.com. Thank you listeners now and always for being a part of this pod and this community because together we can do so much more. Thanks for listening to Care More, Be Better, a podcast for social good. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts. And share with your friends to help us reach more people and spread more social good.